Welcome to the Luminary Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Perry. I'm a professional psychic channel, a spirituality and energetics teacher. One of my sole missions is to activate and illuminate light leaders across the globe. Let's go. Can I tell you all my deepest fears? Can I? This Mercury retrograde, something that came up for me was the fears that were still lingering in the back of my mind. And my guides challenged me to tell them to someone because they were all the things that I had never spoken. I had never told anyone that I'm afraid of this, even though this will probably never happen. I'm afraid of this. And I thought about who I could tell. And I realized that as much as I could tell a close friend and someone that I trust, this community, this podcast is really where I've put so much of myself, where I have laid it all out there, (laughs) where I have gone full alien and been accepted for it. Now, I'm sure there's some people who listen once and never listened again, but that's the magic of a podcast is you'll never know. And somehow, some way, more and more people find me every single day, and this community feels the most safe to me. And part of that is because when I decided that I was going to create a podcast, I made a promise to myself. I promised that I would always be honest, that no matter how much I changed, no matter how much my beliefs changed or shifted, that I would always be honest, that I would always own who I am in this present moment. The woman who started this podcast a year ago is not the same one talking to you right now. I love her. I honor her. But we're not the same. Because every day I get up and I commit to change. I commit to going deeper. I commit to deeper ownership over myself and my soul and where I've been and where I'm going. So I'm being sincere when I'm asking you, can I tell you some of my deepest fears? Can I share them here and leave them here to rest? Because I deserve a life free of fear, and so do you. And the commitment that I've made to you is that I will always go first. So here I go. I have three. Three that I want to share with you. Deeply personal, very Annie Perry's fears. And then I want to tell you a story, a story that might jog some of your soul's memories. So the first fear is that the more public I get and the more that I begin to energetically spread my wings 
and unfold myself and allow myself to be seen and be heard by more and more people, I have a fear that someone from my past will show up out of the blue and tell everyone who I used to be. And I don't have a problem owning with who I used to be and talking about who I used to be, but I think that I would feel not as good about it if I didn't tell you first, if it didn't come from me first, if you had to hear it from someone else. And so I'm afraid of someone coming, especially like a man that maybe I had been with or dated or found on Tinder. I'm afraid of them just coming out of the blue and being like, look at these text messages I still have from (laughs) 2014. You know, look at these photos that I have of her. Um, You know, I partied pretty hard when I broke up with my ex-fiance just so I could like live a little. And I think we all have. But in the back of my mind, it just pulls on me like, what if someone has some photo of you? And the bigger you get, then the more power this person might have over you. And so I just decided that I would have to just own it completely, fully, somewhere out there are some very sexy photos of me. And honestly, the older I get, the more that I wish I actually had them in my possession. (laughs) But they're out there somewhere, or maybe they're deleted, and maybe no one cares, and hopefully people will see the change and see that that's definitely not who I am anymore. But I have to own that first and foremost. My other fear is kind of along the same lines of just slander, of like just someone coming from my past and saying, Annie Perry did this to me or said this to me and hurt my feelings and she was a real bitch. And I used to be a real bitch. (laughs) It's true. I 100% own it. Honestly, in my lifetime, I've said some things to people that I really wish I had not said to them. But at the same time, I can also hold space for the fact that maybe in some way they needed to hear that. And maybe in some way I needed to deal with being that person so that I could become this version of myself. Sometimes you have to go to the opposite end of the spectrum in order to see, oh, this is what the dark really looks like. This is what it really, really looks like. The dark and the darkness in our universe, it's energetic. It is not morality-based. It is energetic. As in, however much you dislike and dislove yourself is how much that will be shown to other people through what you say to them and how you treat them. And there have been some things that have come out of my mouth that I am not proud of, but I have to own them. I have to own them. And I think that I've done a good job of approaching some of the people who are still in my life and having those really hard conversations and saying, I'm sorry. I am truly, truly sorry for who I used to be. And all I can do is take ownership over her and heal her and create something new with that old energy. 
you know, after I broke up with my ex in 2014, he would write these horrible things about me on his Instagram. (laughs) It would be like a picture of him and then it would be like, my ex-girlfriend is the ugliest person I know. She is the most hideous person inside. She's pretty on the outside and she's ugly on the inside. That's what he wrote about me. And I, I mean, I think I took it like a champ because in some ways I knew that when people are hurt, everything just feels so intense and so intensely awful. But I think about that sometimes and I wonder who else might come out of the woodwork and say things about me, especially because now of what I believe and what I teach and how mindful I try to be, I think in the back of my mind, the fear is that someone will be like, you're a fraud, you're a fake, because you used to be this other person back in the day. And we read these stories about celebrities and public figures and people coming out of like the past. And I'm not talking about physically hurting someone, right? If someone has physically hurt you in the past, that is something worth coming forward about at any point. But I've never physically hurt anyone, uh, to my knowledge, physically hurt anyone in the past. And so we see, we hear these stories about, you know, people coming from the past or people hacking other people's phones and being like, look at this person. Now I want everyone to hate them as much as I do. And it creates fear. It creates real fear when you are in front of people. And you have a responsibility to them. And you have new standards for what you hold yourself to. That (laughs) I definitely did not meet those standards in the past. But that's part of my story, right? I had to go into the dark in order to realize that I actually wanted to heal into the light. And my third and final fear This one is newer. It's only come up in the last few months that I have been teaching money, money energetics, and there's still a lot of fear in me about teaching that. Fear of judgment, fear of um, perception, fear of people in my own life who have seen the way that I used to spend and treat money also slandering and saying like, that's not you, you're, you know a piece of shit person. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Once you start saying the fears out loud, you start realizing how, you know, kind of silly they sound, but it's important. And so, my fear is that that somehow something will happen and I will have to, like, go into financial ruin or file bankruptcy and really have to do it all, like, very publicly. That's a huge fear of mine of always like, you know, like, are we okay? Are we on the right track? Am I doing something that's off that could lead to financial ruin and have to file for bankruptcy in front of all of these people? And it's a very real fear because money is such a big thing in our lives. Even when we try to pretend like it's not, it supports everything in our life. It touches everything in our life. But it's also part of my story right? Part of my story is someone who used to have like the worst relationship with money 
and had so much karma around it and so many negative experiences, but so many lessons. And the lessons continue to come and to be presented to me and the divine downloads continue to come and the new modalities and the new things that I teach continue to roll in day after day after day. And sometimes I just truly have this big imposter syndrome about it of saying like, who am I to be teaching this? Who am I to go out and say this when this isn't who I've always been? And every time my spirit guides say, this is what qualifies you. This is why you're qualified. (laughs) Because of your experiences, because of the negative experiences that you've had, because of the mistakes that you've made, because of the failures in the past, that's what qualifies you. It doesn't qualify you to just know something. It qualifies you to experience something, to learn something. And when you learn it hands-on, that makes you qualified. And that really applies to everything that I'm telling you right now. All three of these big fears, it's what qualifies me. And that's also what scares me. That somehow someone, that somehow someone will just come along with their words and twist it all. And really shine a bad light on me. And I actually am thinking now of that um, Eleanor Roosevelt quote that none of us knew before Princess Diaries. (laughs) No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And so part of me owning these fears is really me not giving anyone consent to hold anything over me because I want to be so transparent while holding space for the things that I choose to keep private and to keep to myself, which are mostly things that have to do with other people. And I'm very careful not to, you know, name names on here. Things that have to do with other people, I try to keep those private for their own sake. But things that only have to do with me, I'm very, very open about because I have examined who I was and who I used to be to the deepest degree. No one has run over my past with a fine-tooth comb more than I have. And that inner reflection really is what brought me on here to say, there's just more that I need to to own and to talk about and to bring up and to be transparent because someone out there, as always, someone out there is probably suffering the same way, probably has the same fear holding them back from who they could be. At the end of the day, it's never about me. It's always been about us. All is one. That means it's all of us. So I want to tell you a story. This is a part one of two parts. I'm going to tell you this part today that has to do with me and my soul's journey, things that I have never shared before. And then I'm going to tell you a part two that has to do with humanity and the origins of the human race. And you will see how the stories intertwine 
and you will feel how the stories intertwine with your own story. So let's begin. This is the story of my soul, the parts and pieces that I feel called to share with you as I understand them and as I perceive them at this moment in time. That's very important because in a year from now, just like I said at the beginning of the episode, you're talking, you're listening to someone different than I was a year ago. And so in a year from now, there will be someone different talking to you. And she may have more information, more details, different perception, different perspectives. And we can honor all of that. But as of right now, this is how I want to tell the story. So I want to tell you the story of my soul and where I have been, some of my most distinct memories through my own journey in the seven densities of consciousness. If you're not sure what the seven densities of consciousness are, I'd encourage you to pause this and to go back and listen to that episode. It's called Seven Densities of Consciousness, and I think it's episode three or four. But that part is important because when I start this, I'm going to start with where my soul energy remembers being in the first density of consciousness. The first density of consciousness is when we are the elements and natural matter. My soul is not from this universe. I came here with my sister and two other souls that I usually call my brothers Our universe was coming to completion, and yet our energy was still too young to come to completion. So all of the energy and the different souls had to go to other universes in order to have their own experience through the seven densities of consciousness. So what my guides have told me is that it means that a certain percentage somewhere around 70 to 80% of that universe had reached completion, which means that 70 to 80% of the universe had come to the end of the seventh density of consciousness, and therefore they were getting ready to conclude a universe. I don't understand everything that goes into that, but I do know that once a universe comes to conclusion, there is another chapter that unfolds for it, Um, However, my soul and my soul energy was too young to go to conclusion, so we still needed to have our own experiences. And this is not uncommon. This is the common way that this is dealt with in the multiverse. So it doesn't make me special, um, but there you might come across other souls who are not from this universe, and it just means that they came here because this universe was at the appropriate age for their energy. And in case you are wondering, you do actually travel through black holes to reach and to uh, travel to other universes. I think humans are starting to figure that out now. Um, It's not something that humans could actually do. This is not something that you can jump in a spaceship and like go through a black hole. Uh, This is not interstellar. (laughs) Um, But I think they're kind of, you know, they're remembering more and more. So there are other souls here from other universes. And they recognize that traveling through a black hole is how we travel through 
to other universes, but we do this on an energetic level. Um, we definitely do not do this as 3D, three-dimensional beings. We're too dense. It would be, I mean, we would just like obliterate into nothing and energy can't become nothing. So the body itself would become, you know, non-existent, but the energy of the soul would still be there. And so through my past life regressions, I've gone further and further and further back through what life looked like before I came to this universe. And that's where I want to start. And then I will tell it going forward. So my first memory as a non-self-aware being, so in the first density of consciousness, when I was still organic matter, was as a very tall blade of grass kind of like uh, not like green grass more like what you would see in a field um like the tall grass that grows on our planet and it's like golden um i remember it being golden it wasn't like the kind that has like the fuzzy top (laughs) but i remember being something like that essentially, in this other universe on a planet that was going through the first density of consciousness. So, there was just um, the elements and nature. There was no um, organic life forms yet, but the organic life forms were coming. And we had a sun, the same way that we have a sun here on Earth. We had a sun, and my memory is of being this just fractal of consciousness and being aware of the sun and just loving it so much. Like, it was truly, like, the way that a child feels about their parent. And each day, we would be so drawn and we would, like, pull ourselves towards it. Like, wherever the sun was shining, we would pull ourselves towards it. And we would sing. And this isn't singing that you hear with your 3D ears, but it's like there's this melody playing and we're all singing it and we're all a part of it. And there's no concept of I. There's no me. It's just things just are. There's no words for it, really. But I have this distinct memory of almost as if my energy is looking up at the sun And it's like I'm reaching towards it and I feel its warmth and I feel its love. It's like the most radiant, unconditional love comes from the sun and and all planets need a sun. It is source's, you know, energetic representative. So they need a sun in order to have life on them. And I just remember looking up and being just pulling all of me, all of whatever I was towards the sun. And we were all singing and it was like we were swaying too, like in the wind. And I know it kind of sounds like a, like a cartoon or something, but it was real. It's like one of the most beautiful memories that my soul has of just this tiny, tiniest bit of consciousness. And I don't know how long we stayed there, but I know that it was a long time. And I'm sure my soul has many other memories stored deeply away 
of going through and being the different elements. But that one really stands out as just this moment of semi-sentience that imprinted on my energy. Now, as many of you know, when you graduate the first density of consciousness and the elements, you become an organic life form, uh, such as anything from an organism all the way up to animals. And so these are what we would call like autonomous organisms, autonomous life forms, but they're not self-aware yet. So your pet, your dog is becoming more and more self-aware. They're almost ready to graduate and become their own self-aware soul and enter into a body like ours. But we do spend many, many thousands, millions of years as other organic life forms and organisms. And so my memory after being a blade of grass is being a bird, a hawk, similar to a hawk. I would say not the exact kind that we have here, but I know for certainty that the hawk and the owl were brought from my universe to this universe, probably by souls that were much more advanced than me and my siblings and who were already in deeper densities of consciousness and were designing um, different animals and different life forms here in this universe. And they probably just, you know, came the same way that we did because they weren't ready to come to completion and started, you know, designing and creating here. And so I remember being a hawk. I remember being a bird. I know what it feels like to fly. And it is the most wonderful feeling in the entire world. I mean, no movie, no cinematography can mimic what it feels like to be that light and to be that instinctual. It's your complete instinct. Just like walking is our instinct, for them flying is just, it's just so natural and it's incredible. And so I have this really vivid memory of flying with my sister, with the energy that would eventually become my sister. And we're flying side by side. And I see a city in the distance. And I have these incredible, you know, Hawkeyes. <laughs> and so I can see it really well, even though it was a lot further than like a human would be able to see it. And I could see it and I knew exactly, you know, what what it was, where it was, and why we were going in that direction. But we were just gliding on the air, you know, near each other. And we see these beings walking on the dirt below us. And we're just flying over them. And it's just one of the most beautiful, incredible memories that I have. And eventually, in the same universe, our energy was gathered up and we graduated the second density of consciousness and became a self-aware being. And within this past summer, I decided that I wanted to regress when I first became self-aware in the etheric realm. So before I entered into a body. And doing this regression is one of the initiation steps that catapulted me this summer into this massive acceleration and this change in my business and change in my energy and change just in general was being able to regress this memory. 
So when my energy was gathered up and I was made into a self-aware soul, it's like waking up and it was like I opened my eyes for the first time ever. I, I have to imagine that this is what it feels like to be born because I opened my eyes, but I didn't have eyes because I wasn't in a body. So it's almost like I just became aware of myself. And I had the most wonderful thought, the most wonderful thought that I think I'll ever think. And it was, I am. I am. When you become self-aware, It's the first time you're ever having a thought about you, that you are something, (laughs) that you are separate from others. We're not separate, but in this moment, that, that concept is now, that perspective is now available to us. And so I thought, I am, that was my first thought, just like becoming aware of myself. And I remember that my energy was kind of like in this It's not like a cocoon, but it's kind of like this, almost like this cradle, but this cradle is upright and it's facing towards the ones who are tending to you. And there are etheric beings tending to these new souls. And there is this, or at least for me, there was this divine masculine creator. And I remember him being there. And I'm just going to say he, him because the energy from him was divine masculinity. So I understand a little bit more about why humans think that God is a he, because I remember him being there, but I don't think that that is all of God. That is just one extension. And so I'm kind of in this like etheric cradle for energy. (laughs) And I remember feeling completely weightless, like there was no gravity no gravity there. And looking around, there were colors that I had never seen, colors that I will never see until I end this lifetime again. It's, I mean, just the most magical colors and like energy, like energy just everywhere and colors that you can't even imagine or see and like things are not as they appear and things are moving and shifting and like nothing has to be Nothing has to be like solid. Nothing there is 3D. It's it's the etheric realm. It's where these souls are created and gathered up and formulated into their own self-aware being. It was just so beautiful. And whenever I feel discouraged or sad, I always think about that memory. And I think about how delighted and happy and loving and just the purity of what we are in that state and just the delight of this first thought I am, like, becoming aware of myself. It's magic. It's as close as we will ever get to to real magic. And so I had um, some third-dimensional lifetimes in this other universe. They were divine feminine or female incarnations, and they were very soft and very gentle And there wasn't much complexity at all in them because naturally as a new soul, we would be put on very easy planets 
and have very easy soul lessons. You know, it's really just about being self-aware. And so I really had like my childhood, my soul childhood there. And then I remember there coming a point in time when my sister, this soul that I call Atea Palai, you know as Athena Palai, saying that we're we're going somewhere else. We're going to a different place or we're going to have more experiences. And it was just generally understood amongst us and our guides at that point who are more like, you know, caretakers. And so we came here and it was definitely planned and talked about with our guides and us about what kind of universe we needed to go to based on the next steps for our own learning and our own lessons. And so we came here to this universe, but we didn't actually come into the Milky Way galaxy for a time, and we were still maturing. But I do remember the excitement in my soul when I was kind of like this adolescent soul of being like, I want to go uh, where they're having all of the galactic wars. And so we knew in between lifetimes where these different galactic wars were happening. And, you know, surprise, they were like all happening here in the Milky Way. Or at least what you and I call the Milky Way. (laughs) Interdimensionals definitely don't call it the Milky Way. But we knew that they were happening here. And so I was at the right soul maturity to go into those kind of complex, more complex lifetimes. And this is really when our soul starts to build up more karma. So I was just, you know, young and thought I could handle it all. And so I started having these masculine incarnations. And this is really where I got that identity and this like soul career as I have called it in the past, of being a warrior. And it really, you know, built up over many, many lifetimes, not just one lifetime as a warrior. But because warriors naturally create a lot of karma for themselves, I got pulled into that lifestyle, (laughs) soul style, soul lifestyle for thousands and thousands of years. And I mean, so many incarnations. It would take me forever to go through all of them. But I remember coming here and really having this like youthful energy and being very excited to go into the lifetimes. And that is when I started incarnating in the Orion system. And so the Orion system is quite a large planetary system. And it consists of a few more planets than humans identify with the Orion constellation. So, the Orion constellation is not exactly the Orion system. There's a few more planets included. But I started incarnating there, and I think I've told a few of you guys on Instagram that J.R.R. Tolkien's whole Lord of the Rings world is all what I believe to be his, you know, past life memories of the Orion system. Because whenever I regress and whenever I regress for clients, when I was doing readings, that same style of beings and the look and the feel are all from the Orion system, 
right? So it's kind of like how we perceive the Middle Ages, right? There was no technology in the early part of the Orion transition. So there was no technology. So they were very much like the Middle Ages, but they understood energy to a greater degree than I think humanity has ever understood it so far. They understood energy and eventually they did become a highly advanced civilization before they uh, officially left the third density. Just like how humans were in the dark ages like a thousand years ago, and now we're like flying to space and stuff. But in the early part of it, it was really like the Lord of the Rings. Like we were on horses, we lived in cities that were built in a circle and they would have a high part towards the center of it, and they would have high walls because there was always wars happening there. And part of why there are so many wars in this part of our universe is because we have five fingers. (laughs) I don't know if this is the time to go into the five finger thing, but with five fingers, you can create weapons, right? You can hold a gun with five fingers, you can hold a sword with five fingers, and previously, most species had three or four fingers. So eventually we started being created with five fingers and that's when everything just started getting so crazy in this universe with wars because we were always fighting each other and always like had that, you know, fist of control towards each other. And so in the Orion system, there were several uh, six planets that turned to the dark side. So there was a lot of wars there with just on their planet and the dark energy, the same way that we have wars here with dictators and kings and people who want to have power and control over other people. So these types of dark entities would first conquer the people of the planet. And so there were a lot of these planets that were under severe oppression And sometimes I was on the right side and sometimes I was on the, you know, perceived wrong side. And because I wanted to be a warrior and so whoever was fighting was where I was going. And I definitely had this sense of like this, this is helping people. Like I had that perception that somehow me fighting physically for other people was helping them. And in the third density or the third reality that could be like, it's one perception. It's definitely not the perception I have now as my soul has matured. But we were, you know, just aesthetically, like we were on horses, like there were divine feminine, divine masculine beings, not all of them were as humanoid looking, but some of them were closer to humanoid-ish looking. And, you know, you have two legs and two arms and a head, and that's pretty much all self-aware beings that I am aware of so far look like that to some degree. But then as far as skin tone and, you know, how their facial features look and how tall they are, all of that stuff changes species to species. And the other thing about the Orion system is everything there was like gray. So there was a lot of forests there. Um, Definitely if you live in like the northern hemisphere and you live, you know, high up in the northern hemisphere. That's what the Orion planets looked like all over the planet. It was like dense forests. There was always overcast, always gray, always um, very cold there. And so not the most, you know, warm paradise that we like to think about. 
There were some planets that were a little bit more paradise. There were some water planets, but those were not the ones that I was on because I was the warrior, so I had to be where the wars were. And that tended to be on these planets where there were different cities and kingdoms and things that we would think of um, in that way. And But they would call themselves peoples, right? So they considered their city and their kingdom their peoples. And they didn't think of it as like, this is my country or this is my, you know, city. They didn't think of it like that. They thought of like, my people stick with my people and this is where we live. So you can't come and live here too. And depending on who had the power on that planet, that would be, you know, the evil person or the dark entity like taking over and really oppressing a lot of these peoples and a lot of the inhabitants of these different planets. And it happened to varying degrees for so long. I mean, for so long. Just thinking about it, my soul is tired. (laughs) It happened for so long. And so, you know, sometimes the memories that you might have, that you might think are from a movie, or you might think are from a past life on Earth, they're actually your soul remembering something that happened way before this. Like, humans didn't just get all of these ideas about themselves out of thin air. All of this came from somewhere. And for humanity, especially in the West and, like, Europe and um, probably different parts of the Middle East, and I don't know as much about different, you know, Asian history, but I'm sure there too, you know, we get a lot of that from the Orion system. It had the most influence on humanity. And in the next episode, the part two of this episode, you're going to find out why that is. But towards the end of my tenure in the Orion system, the galactic wars were getting pretty bad. These are known as the Draconian Wars um, by some channels. Some psychics call it that. Uh, some people call it the Reptilian Wars. Honestly, it's just dark energy versus the light energy, and all of it ends up being light at the end of the day, at the end of this universe anyway. So, it doesn't really matter who was versus who, but towards the end of that, we were in very advanced states of technology, something much closer to what you would think of as like Star Wars, Uh, much more like high-tech, interspace travel. Um, We had better just equipment all around to go into these battles. I definitely don't remember the armor being as silly as it is in Star Wars, so just like delete that part from it. But we definitely had like um, these very, very fast fighter jets and we, I have a distinct memory of, you know, dying in one of them. Um, but we had a lot of just better technology. It, it didn't make a difference though, because energy is energy and energy is surprisingly not technology. So it didn't matter that we had better technology. All of those planets started turning to the dark side anyway. And that's really where George Lucas gets all of his Star Wars stuff. I mean, that's just the very end of the Orion Wars was in a fabled way, in a storyteller way, would be what you see as Star Wars, right? There's like this dark empire and literally the Orion beings call themselves the Orion Empire. And so it was this dark empire that was just trying to take over more and more and more throughout the planet. And you have the resistance or the 
you know, good people who just want to be free. And at the end of the day, it really just becomes dark versus light over and over and over again. And I'm sure this is not the first universe where that is on repeat. So my last lifetime as a warrior was as an Arcturian warrior. And I have talked about this lifetime before because this was a catalyst lifetime for me, the same way that my lifetime as Annie Perry is a catalyst lifetime for me, for my soul. It's like a turning point. And so we were working with the Arcturians and this would have been like the Galactic Federation of Light, a bunch of different species. We were working with the Arcturians who are very um, science-based. They are very much into where art meets science and they don't see art and science as separate but as one in the same. So the Galactic Federation approved them to create a biologically engineered soldier to fight the dark entities in the universe. This was about 17,000 years ago so it wasn't that long ago. And I was in between lifetimes and volunteered to incarnate into one of these biologically engineered bodies. So I was not born from a womb. I was born in a lab. And um, I won't pretend to fully understand how they were able to do that. I don't think that's important. Just know that the Arcturians are pretty advanced and they're even more advanced now but we were these creations and we had legs that were kind of like the hind legs of a dog. So there was an extra like bend in them and that was to enable us to jump very far. Um, we were very tall. I think I was about seven, seven and a half feet tall. We had somewhat of a beige-ish skin tone. Um, I would say that if you saw it, you definitely wouldn't think it was human. And the skin itself had a different texture to it. Um, we had very elongated torsos um, to fit with how tall we were. And our faces were not humanoid at all. You would probably think of them as a little bit scary. Um, and we were supposed to be intimidating and scary. We had very long, thin hair, uh, quite a different texture, I would say, than from human hair. But it was very, very thin and very, very straight. And it would just continue to grow. And so we had this hair, this very thin hair. Mine was a very, very pale shade all the way down to the bottom of our back. So, you know, a lot longer than any human eye knows hair. Um, but it didn't really get in the way and we would braid it and we would, you know, I don't know, I'm sure other people had shorter hair, but for whatever reason, I just chose to have mine that long. And we would wear clothing when we were in the cities. Um, so there were Arcturian cities and I lived with my father um, and I had a father who was basically a caretaker, someone who volunteered themselves to raise these biologically created super soldiers, knowing full and well that that's what I would become, that's what I would desire to be, that that's what I had created, been created for. Um, and so we were all, we all had fathers. For whatever reason, the Arcturians didn't give us to like, um, there was no couples the way that we have it here on earth. There was just these male 
entities, <laughs> these male species that were Arcturian that basically like raised us. And so I lived in a home in a city on Arcturus and um, I grew up, you know, I played as a child. I had memories. I have memories of the city. I have memories of what my home looked like. Very different from human homes. Um, at this point, the Arcturians were very, very advanced and probably getting ready for their own transition, maybe not even out of the uh, third density, um, but maybe even, you know, deeper and further than that. So, they were quite advanced, and um, this is one of the places where I get my concepts around money from. We had no issue with money. There was no such thing as poverty there. There was no such thing as poor people. Everyone had everything that they needed. That's just the way that it was. There was no economy that created, like, some people are very poor and some people are very rich. If anything, our perception as a human would be that all of these Arcturians are very wealthy, but for them, that's just how it was. Everyone had everything that they needed. There was no justifiable reason for something like poverty or homelessness or, you know, lower socioeconomic um, groups. None of that existed. Everyone was at the same level. You could have anything that you wanted. So, I didn't live a long time, as long as they hoped that I would live in this type of body that they had created specifically for these wars. But it was coming up to the tail end of these wars, and the light side was like, you know, if you have something that we could use, like, we'll take it. Whatever it is, we'll take it. And so, that's where we came in. And so, I was very, very good at my job. And it wasn't really a job. It was more like a volunteer gig. But I was very, very good at it because I had already had thousands and thousands of years of experience as a warrior. I'm just using the word warrior. Um, warrior, soldier, fighter, masculine, whatever. You know, the, those things are all the same, but they're known in different ways on different planets and in different species. So I'm just using the, you know, overall term warrior. And so I was very good at it. And so I was, I became a commander and I had a huge amount of soldiers that were under me and I would use my third eye abilities to download battle strategy and strategies that would help us to win. And we won a few times. <laughs> we won a few different battles. We did not win the war. Um, and depending on who you're talking to, the war is still going, it's still on. But for me, the war is over and done. So, the last battle that we had was on a different planet. So, we went to this other planet. It was me, all of the, you know, soldiers that were under me. And we had this very advanced type of weapon that looks somewhat like a trident. If you are someone who's ever felt suspiciously drawn to tridents, to the trident symbol, or felt a little bit afraid of it, you may have seen or experienced this yourself, <laughs> whether you were on the receiving end of it or you were on the wielding end of it. But we went to this other planet for this battle and we were certain, I mean, I remember just feeling it in my bones that we were going to win, that we were going to be victorious. That word victory means a lot to me, and it comes up a lot in my soul history as something that I have greatly desired and looked for in the wrong places. 
such as in wars and battles. And the battle itself went terribly. Uh, We did not win. And it's taken me a long time to be able to talk about it without crying or having a big emotional response. But um, everyone, every single soldier that was under me died, all of them. And many of you were there. Many people who were with me find me in this lifetime and come to me and ask me for readings or just say, for whatever reason, I'm so drawn to you. But it did not go well. And I was taken as a prisoner of war, what we would think of as a prisoner of war, by the beings that we were fighting. And I was taken to this like desert cell underground. I mean, it was so miserable to this day. I really hate just being in the dry heat. And it was just dry heat, no water, no moisture, like nothing could parch, like nothing could quench the thirst. You just felt completely dry there. And they would beat me every single day with no purpose, no meaning. It wasn't an interrogation. It was just because they could. And so they would beat me and I had all of these like scarring all over my back, um, similar to what we think of as like a whip or a cat of nine tails was similar to what they were using on me. So it would just shred my back open. And I was a very tough being, you know, I was a masculine being and internally I was in despair. Internally, I was just completely broken and I felt like the biggest failure in the universe. And I felt like no one knows I'm here. No one is coming for me. There's no purpose to this. Please just let me like die. Just let me, just let this end. But they wouldn't let me die because they were torturing me for their own amusement, but also because there was nothing else going on there. I mean, they had already won. And so I just want to preface this part by saying that this is a trigger warning. Trigger warning, um, about suicide. So if you can't handle hearing about that, definitely just skip over the next like five, 10 minutes. But I ended up finding a, not like cloth, but it was some sort of material. And eventually, I don't know how long I was there. I want to say I was there close to like what we would think of as like a year. Uh, The days are not the same there. Time is not the same there. They don't measure time the same way there. But I'm going to say that the amount of time it felt to me was the same way that a year here feels to me. So long enough. And I was in such a despair that I found this um, kind of like a cord and I managed to strangle myself and to die um, and to leave that body. And I immediately left that body. And I remember being above it and looking down at it and feeling regret, uh, feeling like, oh, that that is not how I intended to end this lifetime. That's not how I intended to leave. And immediately recognizing what I couldn't recognize while I was in the body, which was that, yes, things feel really, really bad, but they're actually is a way that you intend to leave a lifetime that is not at your own hands. Which means that if you're still in a lifetime, there's still more that is coming for you. There's more that's going to teach you. There's more lessons for you. There might be even more light at the end of the tunnel. 
And unfortunately, when you do commit suicide, you don't know what might have happened. You don't know, like, I'll never know if someone was going to come and rescue me. I'll never know if I would have gotten out of that cell. I'll never know if maybe I would have just died of natural causes there. I'll never know because I took that from myself. And so I spent a long time in the etheric realm. I want to say it was close to maybe like three or four thousand years of our years. Uh, Time doesn't really exist there, but I spent a long time in the etheric realm, just not wanting to go back to any planets, not wanting to incarnate again. And I was really having a deep inner reflection. So when someone commits suicide, they go to what we call the healing place. And it's truly this part of the etheric realm, the life between lifetimes. And we go and we get so much love and so much nurturing and we talk to our guides and it's almost like being in like kind of like rehab, but like the most beautiful loving rehab, like not negative at all. It's like the Malibu rehab, you know, like the beauty is there and like you have clarity and you see how things went and you're reflecting on them and you want different for yourself and you really want like a new chapter for yourself. And what's happening is that you're gaining consciousness. You're gaining conscious awareness through the actions and through the reflection of what happened during that lifetime. So I took a lot of time off and decided that I was done with these fighting warrior, you know, trying to be the hero of everyone all the time, lifetimes. (laughs) I was done with it. I had learned finally, and on all souls do. We learn, like your soul probably went through its own version of this wherever you might be from. But because my soul was at a certain level of consciousness and maturity, I still had to go to difficult planets and my guide said, there is a planet, there is a planet that is at your skill level and you can have a different kind of incarnation there. You can start, you know, returning to feminine incarnations and really experiencing what it's like to not be in power, to not have power over others, to not be the, you know, masculine energy And that is definitely something we learn over lifetimes still, no matter how well-intentioned we are in the etheric realm between lifetimes. So they said there is a planet, (laughs) and no surprise, that planet is what we call Earth. So I came here about 12,000 years ago, and Lemuria is where I first came to as a divine feminine being, so a female being, female Lemurian. Lemurians are some of my favorite, favorite beings in the whole universe. So we were quite tall as well, probably more around like six to seven feet tall, very um, elongated torsos, long legs. We had elongated faces that were sort of humanoid. 
Uh, we had very tan skin when I was there. So I have heard other people channel um, a little bit further back in Lemuria where they had different kinds of skin tones. But for me, it was quite tan, the same way that you would see on any, you know, Pacific Islander um, or even in like Indonesia. Uh, we were down in the between the Indian Ocean and Pacific Ocean. And mind you, this is before humans are fully, like, up and running. They were still, you know, testing out the human prototype at this time. And so, Lemuria was at its height. Atlantis was also at its height, um, probably already at its decline, I would say. And aside from tan skin and elongated faces, we also had very long, straight black hair. Um, that we would also grow very, very long. And we had a different kind of skin. It was much thicker and smoother, and it would keep us warm when we were in the water. So we were this kind of like water hybrid being. We were very, very close to water. We would swim every single day. We just considered the water as part of our natural habitat. And we would live near water. Water was not worshipped by us, but we knew that water had magical properties. And you've heard me say that before. Water has magical properties. If you just think about water, you'll start to see how it is inside of us, outside of us, all around us. It's just amazing. And in Lemuria, we knew that we could heal with water um, energetically. So, very, very spiritual beings, very, very peaceful beings. We had beautiful cities that were, like, part nature and part city. You know, we were one with nature. There wasn't a separation. We didn't necessarily want to be like the Atlanteans who wanted more and more and more technology. We really wanted to stay connected with nature. That was just part of our natural countenance as a species. We were a different species than the Atlanteans. And this peace was what drew my soul to come here and have feminine incarnation. What is the opposite of war? Peace. So, I came and had, um, I think I had two or three incarnations before my really um, pivotal one, the one that I remember the most of. So, two or three incarnations, and then I had a lifetime. The lifetimes were much longer. We lived to be more about 400 to 800 years old, sometimes even older than that, uh, and we could die of natural causes. We could die of our own types of illnesses. We could die from accidents. We weren't like immortal or anything. But if none of that got you, you could live to be, you know, well over a thousand years old. But I would say that the average was about 400, 800 years old. So I had this beautiful lifetime as this feminine being. And I fell in love with, like, the love of my soul's life. <laughs> and uh, we were so in love and we had our own sort of custom, not like what humans think of as marriage, but it is like a ceremony and a custom of just, like, you know, bonding and and really dedicating your life to love that person and to 
uh, have a family with them and kind of like a life partner ceremony is how I would put it. And I know marriage sounds the same, but I think marriage is like this weird contract and um, humans have a lot of like possessiveness around marriage. We didn't really feel that way. We felt like we both um, were very excited to, to be together and we didn't really think about like, what if I don't want to be with you anymore? Because we just didn't have contempt for other beings. We didn't grow contempt for other beings. We didn't have those feelings on our emotional scale. We could feel fear. We could feel sorrow, sadness, grief, despair, a lot of those, but we really didn't feel things like hatred. And we were very, very harmonious. So we got along with everyone who was around us. There was no like you know, I don't like you or I don't like that family over there or I don't like the way that person looks. We just didn't even have those thoughts. We didn't have those thoughts. We didn't have those feelings. So it was more like a beautiful like commitment ceremony and just being in that um, frequency with another being. And we had very, very strong, radiant heart chakras. And you could feel the heart chakras of other people around you. And you knew what those were. You knew what a heart chakra was. You knew that we were um, energy. You knew that we were souls having a embodied experience. We knew that there was an etheric realm. We knew that death was not the end. So we understood all of those things. So me and my partner were very uh, young, youthful. So basically anyone under 100 years old is considered like young. The way that we think of like a 20-year-old in human terms is anyone under 100 years old. So uh, we were very youthful and positive and um, hopeful of the future. And we had uh, two children together, and children were much more rare for Lemurians. It wasn't like humans, where sometimes they'll have like five or six, like two is, two is a lot, uh, because the species is just so different. And unfortunately, my partner ended up dying young. He was killed in an accident um, out in deeper parts of the sea, um, killed in an accident. And that was the like deepest despair. Like if I thought that, you know, ending my life as a warrior was despair, I mean, losing someone that I loved really, really deeply was just shattering. I mean, it just shattered my pure, vibrant, beautiful heart chakra to experience something like that when you're in such a high vape vibration all the time and to really get knocked down the vibrational scale into something like despair and grief. And so I have this very vivid memory of, you know, finding out that he died and going out to this private part of a beach somewhere and just being on my knees and feeling like my heart was ripping open and the grief and the despair and the agony and sitting there and just feeling like, why? Like, how could this happen? How could this happen? And it being so foreign, a tragedy in this kind of utopia world was so foreign for us. And I felt very, very sad that he had left because I understood that death was not the end 
And so I almost felt like he left me and it was like, was that intentional? You know, like, why would you leave me when I knew that I like, I wasn't afraid that he was like in a hell somewhere or that there was like no afterlife. I wasn't afraid of that. I knew that he was still out there. And so it was like, why did you leave me here? And that was kind of the like victim mentality that grew into me. And I had to work through that through many, many lifetimes and maybe even into this lifetime. But that was really the first time I ever felt like a victim because in all of my previous lifetimes, I had so much behind me as like accomplishments and like a warrior and being strong and being, you know, battle ready that it's like you never really feel like a victim when you have that much power. You just feel like, oh, someone else like, you know, won this round, but I'll be back for the next one. But really as a feminine being, you're exploring and experiencing feminine feelings and being a victim is one of those feelings. And what is wild and just a full circle moment is that I was sitting on that beach on my knees, just feeling like everything inside of me shattering. And over time, I started to breathe normally and I felt this like warmth coming over me and this warmth entering into my heart chakra. And I remember in that lifetime that I thought that it was God, that it was like source, you know, source comforting me and source being there for me. But in this lifetime, when I regressed that memory for the first time and my guide said, you have something from this past life to heal. And I saw that woman on her knees on the beach and I knelt over her and I put my arms around her and I send all of the warmth from my heart chakra into her. In Lemuria, I thought it was God. In this lifetime, I now know that it was me. That it was me thousands and thousands of years later, comforting my own self. I mean, how amazing. How amazing. That is the story of the universe that you feel like everything is broken and wrong, and yet you are the one who repairs. You are the one who heals through consciousness, through vibration, through energy, and time and space do not matter. They hold no sway over energy. I was the one healing myself in that moment, but it wouldn't, the other piece of that would not happen for thousands and thousands of years. Whatever you feel today, a future version of yourself is going to heal it. Whether it's in this lifetime or many, many lifetimes in the future, you will always be the one to heal you every single time. I'd love to say that I lived a long, happy, healthy life but I didn't. I had a broken heart for the rest of that lifetime, and that was towards the end of the Lemurian civilization. The Atlanteans would eventually flood the whole damn planet not much long after I left that incarnation, and in between lifetimes, I understood that, like, something was going to happen, and there 
it was not going to be a possibility for me to go back as a Lemurian, that that time had ended, that their contract with Gaia had ended, that things would happen and the peoples themselves would disperse and eventually mingle and interprocreate with humanity as humanity would begin to spread across the planet. So there was a period of time in between, in between Atlantis and Lemuria, and in between humanity really getting um, placed all over the planet and doing what we do, which is <laughs> procreating and multiplying ourselves. But there was a period of time, I want to say that it was around maybe two or three thousand years, where there was preparatory work going into making the planet hospi hospitable to humans and what had been decided on for the human prototype as a self-aware being that would be able to uh, create for themselves and take care of themselves so that interdimensionals could leave them on this planet to help themselves. Uh, so that part is very, very important for self-aware beings in the third density of consciousness as you know, for there to be as little interference as possible. That's why Atlanteans and Lemurians could not coexist on this planet with the humans, because they would give too much of it away, of what is actually going on in our universe. But I decided to stay. There were many, many other options, many other things that I could have done, uh, but I decided to stay. I did have a few intermission lifetimes, on Sirius. Sirius is another planet that I have been on quite a few times uh, before I came to Earth and during that intermission. The Syrians are absolutely my adopted family, but I want to get back to the Earth lifetimes and just tell you about a few more of them leading up to this current one. When I came back to Earth, I came back to Mesopotamia, as we recall it, and it was already a full-blown civilization by the time that I got here. And I have a very distinct memory of incarnating into a female body. I was very, very small. This was probably one of the smallest lifetimes I um, ever had as far as, like, stature. It was very, very small. I want to say I was maybe barely five foot. And, you know, being an eight-foot warrior and going to a five-foot female human body, that the human body just feels so fragile all the time. Uh, was a huge adjustment, but it was a good, you know, challenge for me. And so I had a quite an amazing and extraordinary lifetime in Mesopotamia. I was a kind of a street rat, honestly. Like I was just a poor, poor kid. I'm sure my parents probably died young of something, but I was taken in to be trained as a dancer. Dancers were entertainers and they were a little bit more similar to what we would think of as like acrobats. They were entertainers, they were performers, they were usually poor people who had displayed some sort of skill and who needed to make a living some way to be able to take care of themselves. And so it's not that we were actually paid for any of it. We were honestly a little bit more like a slave, but they would take care of us. So we had somewhere to live. We had food. We were trained in what we were supposed to do. We were trained for hours and hours a day. There was no school. There was no like 
you know, are you going to grow up and get married? Like, are you going to have your own house? There was no thoughts of that at all. It was literally like hand to mouth and it was like performance to performance. And really my entire life and psyche revolved around um, how good of a performer could I be? And when you don't have any distractions like the internet, you can actually become pretty good at the only thing that you can do. So I became a performer with all of these other girls and we would perform for wealthy people at like their home and uh, (laughs) as their home entertainment. And I was very, very good and I would become better and better over the course of my lifetime. I think I was perceived as attractive in that lifetime. I do not think that uh, I would be perceived as attractive in this lifetime if I was in the same body. So the perception of attractiveness has changed, (laughs) changes all the time, but I was perceived as attractive and uh, beautiful and very good at what I did. And so I was able to perform for more and more like wealthy people and really kind of like working my way up there. And eventually I would perform in like uh, royal courts, like for royalty, for like kings and queens, like whatever it was royalty that they had back then. Obviously, we didn't use the same words. It wasn't really the same concept, but we understood that they were like our rulers, that these very wealthy, certain select people ruled us. And so I would perform for them in beautiful, like the most amazing like courts and like the word that comes to mind is like galleries. Um, But there would be, I mean, obviously everything was stone, so it wasn't that great. But to me in that lifetime, it was like, holy shit, like this is a lot better than the hovel that I came from. And I had renown and I had this like performer in me. And I definitely brought that into this lifetime. When I was very young, one of the first things I wanted to do was perform. I wanted to be in plays. I wanted to sing. I wanted to dance. And as an adult, I don't have any of those desires anymore. But tapping into that performer is what helps me in this lifetime with the public way that I teach and present myself with all of this work. But it was a really extraordinary lifetime for, you know, just really kind of coming out of that street rat, um, you know, orphan, very, very poor, nothing going for me, probably would have ended up being like sold as a slave or um, sold into prostitution or something. And the prostitution part, obviously trigger warning if that is a sensitive topic for you as well, but prostitution is usually a part of performing for for other people. Um, And it had been all the way up into like maybe the 16 or 1700s that if someone was a performer or a dancer or a ballerina or any of that, they were also considered available to purchase to spend the night with. I don't remember that being the case in Mesopotamia. And I think I'm very lucky that (laughs) maybe they hadn't gone that hedonistic yet. But it was very uh, beautiful and I had a lot of accomplishment that I felt very proud of myself considering my circumstances and my level of consciousness at that time. I did end up dying probably in my mid-20s from an illness. Honestly, it's probably some, you know, cold or flu that nowadays we don't get anymore. But it was really beautiful and I, I really appreciate that lifetime a lot. After that, I began incarnating in 
the Middle Eastern areas. Um, Egypt, we didn't call it Egypt back then, it was Kemp. I had many, many lifetimes in Kemp because that's where my soul family and my inner circle was incarnating. It was a more conscious place on the planet. It was a place where they had not necessarily technology, but they had knowledge. And that was very attractive to those of us who were star seeds or who had had many lifetimes before Earth. And I have this very distinct lifetime of being a young Egyptian girl. And I was also, you know, very, very small. I had these very like flat features, um, kind of a different, like wide, widely shaped head. Um, you see it sometimes in the very, very old statues that they've created. These, you know, they're not the same shape of head, I feel like, that we have now. Humans just in general don't look the way that we used to. Um, but I had a, it was a very, very short lifetime. I also died very young. I died at about 13, 14 years old from some illness where I had a fever. Um, that was the first memory, the first past life I ever regressed because it was the one that was really haunting me in this lifetime. I would always get these fevers and be convinced that I was going to die. And so I had to heal that, uh, right away when I opened my third eye. But I was very interested in painting and in colors and pigments and different things that we were creating in that lifetime. It was very early in the different Egyptian dynasties, uh, so quite a long time ago. I want to say closer to like 5,000 years ago. I had a few more different... Egyptian lifetimes, none of them were significant. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't Pharaoh. I wasn't Pharaoh's wife or anything cool like that. I'm definitely not in any history books, although I have thought how strange would it be to be in a history book. But after I left Egypt, I went to Greece. And I went to Greece because my sister was there, obviously. Athena, Atea Pillai, uh, was there and she was very, she had several incarnations with the Greeks. She was more, she had more soul maturity than I did. So she was at a little bit different level as far as what she was doing in each lifetime. And she, I mean, she taught the Greeks everything. She taught them our language. The Greek language is the language we brought from our universe. That is why it is such an advanced language. It has like seven different words for love because we understood that love was much more complicated and complex than just the word love. You know, I love God and I love a t-shirt. And for us, those were not the same things at all. So she taught the Greeks um, the language. She taught them so many things. I mean, we had a whole, <laughs> we had a whole like thousand years there. I mean, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Sometimes we were priestesses. Sometimes we were wives of like you know noblemen. Sometimes we were. Um, we we did have a few lifetimes where we went back to our warrior ways. Um, you know, being kind of like the Amazons. The Amazons were a real group who lived in Greece. They were female uh, warriors. And I know that history wants to tell you that they're a myth. They are not a myth. Uh, we just didn't call ourselves the Amazons. <laughs> we called ourselves, I don't know, we were some tribe where we just wanted to be all women and we wanted to run and rule ourselves. 
And I mean, the truth is we were all star seeds. So we were all a little bit more advanced than the other humans around us. And that's how we got away with it. Um, but it was just, it's so cool to think about those lifetimes. Um, the most significant one for me was definitely as a priestess and we would do these different like water healings. We had a temple, we lived on an island out in the Greek islands. We had a temple there. There was, um, seven of us. So three of us would stand on each side of this stone, um, kind of like a stone bed that was right in the center of the temple and people would bring like wounded uh, or dying or diseased men. They were always men because <laughs> the only people they valued was men. So they would bring them to us and basically say like, can you please heal them and like save them? And so we'd put them on this stone um, slab in the middle of this temple and three of us would stand on one side and three of us would stand on the other. And there were these um, like gutters on each side where the water would drain down. And so we would get all of this water and we would say all of these like incantations and it was probably like light language that we were speaking, uh, but it sounded amazing inside of this temple. And it sounded like we were really gonna, you know, save someone's life in there and we would get this water and we would like bless and purify this water we would pour this water over the dying or diseased person and sometimes they were like straight off the battlefield like they would come there in a boat and just drag them ashore and throw them on our slab <laughs> they'd still be like dirty and bleeding i mean everything in history smells so bad <laughs> i don't like doing a lot of past life regression because of the smell and the smell comes back to me in my nose but they would smell so bad and we would like be pouring all this water over them and like speaking all these incantations these like light language and we were like really working ourselves up and I remember thinking I don't think this works <laughs> it didn't work the energy was not the same but we just thought it was working, right? It was like a magical experience and some of them would live and some of them would die and we would be like, it's the will of the gods. Like either way it goes, it's the will of the gods. And there would be the seventh one of us would stand at the head and she would like put her hands on either side of the man's head and kind of be doing a little bit of like Reiki, honestly. Like she would literally be like calling down light and, you know, healing a physical like sword wound with Reiki is not possible. It wasn't possible back then. It's not possible now. It is going to be possible in the future. But we would work ourselves all up. And I remember, you know, I had this like long brown hair and I would go down to the water to the, to the ocean and I would look out at the sun setting every day. And I would watch the sunset and I would just think like, isn't there more out there? Isn't there more like on this planet? I didn't really have a concept of a planet, but like, isn't there just more? Like, there has to be something more. And in this lifetime, as Annie Perry, so many times I've gone down to the water um, near where I live and watch the sunset and just have like these these thoughts of like, what else do I want to do with my life? Like, what where is there more? What where else could I be on this planet on this earth? So a lot of full circle moments there. So I want to skip across time quite a bit from the ancient, ancient Greeks all the way up to the 1300s of 
Europe. <laughs> of Europe. Uh, I was trying to remember, like, where is this lifetime going to be? I've had lifetimes all over the planet, but these are the ones that came up as ones that I needed to heal and ones that I felt called to share with you. So, 1300s in what would be considered like northern Italy, southern Switzerland. I had this lifetime as this nobleman's daughter and I was very, very tall. I was about 5'10". And so, for humans, that was really tall. And in that area, that was very tall. And I think that I had some ancestors who were more like Northern European, where they would have been more tall. But where I lived now with my family, I was like an anomaly, like kind of weird that a girl would be so tall. And I ended up getting, you know, married off by my father to some man that I didn't know and having to go be his wife. And this man was like, <laughs> he was like 5'2". <laughs> I mean, he was probably more like 5'5 five five or 5'7, five but he was shorter than me and he was really mad about being shorter than me. He had like Napoleon syndrome and he was just awful. Um, I actually know his soul in this lifetime and he's not as bad anymore, but in that lifetime, he was a real dick and he would hit me. He would. I don't want to say beat me. Um, he never like beat me bloody, but he would hit me and really talk down to me and yell at me. And he was just awful. And he just had a lot of his own inner turmoil going on. It wasn't actually anything to do with me, but he really wanted like children. And back then it was all about like, just like have the children and like give me a child. And then you've actually like served a purpose. And women didn't have a very big purpose outside of that. We were very secluded. We were always kept away. We were always kept inside of our home. We couldn't go out on our own. We couldn't do anything like travel, like all the things I do in this lifetime would have been a big fat no in that lifetime. It just wouldn't have even been conceivable. And I didn't necessarily have any of those desires. I just wanted to be treated a little bit better than this you know, dickhead was treating me, <laughs> this Napoleon syndrome dude uh, treating me. And so, we were very, very miserable together. At least I was miserable with him. And um, I ended up passing during childhood or during childbirth. And I remember distinctly just letting go of my body and being like, you know what? this lifetime is not worth it. Like, just take me. I think I believed in, like, God and, like, afterlife or whatever. And I was like, just wherever I go, just, like, let me go there. I don't want to. I'm not fighting for this lifetime because I was treated so badly. But me and that soul ended up creating so much karma in that lifetime that we've had several more lifetimes together. I want to time jump one more time. <laughs> time jumping up to the 1800s. So, now I'm incarnating on this little continent called North America. <laughs> and it's the 1800s. It's literally the cowboy times. Everything is so hard. And this incarnation was in southern, it was in California, and it was in, like, the desert, and no one lived out there at that time. Like, everything that we think of California now, it was not like that. It was, like, out in the desert. It was just dry everything. No one around. Um, 
everything was about survival and just like, you know, very hand to mouth, just trying to get by. And so I lived on this um, like farm ranch with my husband and I liked my husband in this lifetime. Surprise, it's like the first time, uh, second time. (laughs) So I liked my husband in this lifetime, but we had some contention between us and I was very insecure because honestly, I mean, this lifetime was just, it was just not it. Like everything was so hot and so hard. And like, I just remember like the dust and the dirt and the sun beating down on you every single day. And you're in like this very thick, scratchy material and you're just suffocating like every day. And women are so covered up all the time. And so we had two children, um, a boy and a girl, and they were about like five and seven years old when my husband left and he went to like go somewhere and do something. And so everything at that time was like a journey. Like you never knew if you were going to see someone again. You didn't know how long it was going to take. Traveling took forever. There was no there was no railroad out there yet or wherever we lived there wasn't. It was just so it was just suffering, right? I'm laughing now, but when I was healing this lifetime, it was the worst. Um, but what ended up happening is my husband never came back. He never came back. And it really tore me up inside not knowing what happened to him because there was just no way to know. There was, I couldn't just go out and find him. So I had no way of knowing what happened to him. And I would like make up all of these crazy stories in my mind of like, maybe he ran off with some, you know, whore at a bar or something. <laughs> maybe he like met some other woman and ran off with her and was like very insecure. And so, and then I didn't know if he died or if he got killed or anything. So I would make up all these crazy stories and really increase my suffering during that lifetime. And my children suffered because I was creating more suffering for myself. And that was one of my biggest lessons looking back on that lifetime was when you are suffering, everyone around you is suffering too. They're suffering because you're in such a low energy that it's rubbing off on them, especially on kids. They don't know how to regulate. They don't know how to just be happy when mom is suffering and mom is depressed And I would say I probably had depression and anxiety in that lifetime, uh, but there was no doctor around to diagnose that. (laughs) So it was a very, very hard lifetime. I died uh, probably around like 40, 45 years old, which back then was long enough, (laughs) honestly. Um, and And I think I just died truly of like stress and of how stressful that lifetime was. And I came out of that lifetime really feeling regret that my kids had not had a good lifetime. And now I was, you know, had this karmic connection with these two other souls. And we had been, you know, in a couple lifetimes before. But what the way that karma works is that the more you build up with someone else, the closer and closer they get to you. So that's when they become, you know, your siblings, your parents, your cousins, like the friend next door. The people that are really close to you are the people that you have the most karma with because you need to resolve it. Whether it's positive or negative, whatever the case may be, Like, that's what draws souls closer to you. So, I don't actually incarnate 
with the four souls that I traveled to this universe with, who I call my inner circle souls, my soul family, I don't actually incarnate with them. We incarnate separately because we all have our own different karmic connections that we've built up over lifetimes. And it would probably be a little bit too easy for us in a lifetime if we were to incarnate all together. You know, we would, it would just be too easy because we have certain levels of soul maturity. All right, so that was the 1800s. And honestly, the 1800s in the West was not a look and not a time that I am ever wanting to go back to. So let's time jump again up to 1950s. 1950s Chicago. I think I may have talked about this lifetime once before. Um, This is definitely my most significant lifetime in the 20th century. Um, I incarnated three times in the 20th century. So, 1950s Chicago. I'm a young girl. I had lived out in like farm country, small town, ran off and eloped with the boy next door, (laughs) really like the only boy available in town, thought that we were going to have this like amazing magical life. We're going to move to the city and like everything is going to be amazing. And um, I was very afraid, even though I was rash and ran off and did these things, I was very afraid that things weren't actually going to turn out the way that we wanted them to. But this boyfriend, husband, of mine. I mean, we probably eloped when we were like 18 years old, maybe if we were even that old. And he was very like supportive of like, we're going to go do this. We're going to like get married and we're going to be married forever. And we're going to move to the city and I'm going to create this amazing life for us. And like, everything's going to work out. And so I was like following his lead. And I was a very immature, I would say, in that lifetime because I just lived in such a small town. I had no, like, street skills. (laughs) I had no, I was not street savvy at all. I mean, I was like a little farm girl coming from the country into the big city, Chicago. And we get there and, like, we live in this, I mean, tiny, awful apartment It was so tiny and it was the first time I had ever lived in an apartment. And so for me, I'm in like culture shock. Can't believe it. I feel so unsafe. I feel unsafe on the streets there, but I keep going out and wandering around on my own. Um, I worked at a job and I honestly want to say that I was like washing. Um, I remember like washing stuff at this job. (laughs) I don't know. I was a wash lady, a wash girl. And um, it was a very low end job, but it was really the only thing I thought that I could get. And my husband um, at the time (laughs) would, I don't know, he was going and doing some labor job and we really struggled. Like we struggled big time. And I think that in most of my lifetimes after Lemuria, I've struggled on this planet because it was not like Arcturus where we just had everything we needed. We didn't have to think about that. So my soul came into it with this naivety and this not being able to understand that you have to have a different mindset to be a wealthy person or maybe you want to choose a wealthy family to be born into if you want to experience that. I didn't really think about those things. And honestly, in between lifetimes, they don't really matter that much to you. But once you get into a lifetime, you realize how much they matter. So I was very naive and um, very reactive. 
and I would get upset about things and then I would go and like spend my husband's money and it would be like, <laughs> it would be like 10, 25 cents, like whatever was a lot of money back then, like it was really not that much money, but it was all that we had. And so I would go and I would like go into these stores and I would buy like lipsticks and I can remember the feel of the lipstick back then and like the case and the container. And honestly, that thing was probably full of poison and full of stuff that we do not put on our bodies anymore. And it was very thick and I would get like red, like thick red lipstick and it would be like my little treasure and I would like put it in my purse or like keep it in my coat and my husband would get so mad because he was like where's all the money like why do you keep spending all of the money and I just had no emotional maturity to understand that that was not a good thing that I was really hurting us so but despite all of it you know he stood by me for that lifetime. I think that he ended up living um, a bit longer than I did, but neither of us lived very long. I think I died right around like 37 years old of, I want to say it was like pneumonia, uh, something in my lungs, in my chest area, and maybe even something from the lipstick. <laughs> Those lipsticks, whatever you do, do not put on vintage makeup. That stuff has chemicals in it that are not intended for humans. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Um, but I came out of that lifetime and I immediately recognized what had gone on, what had happened for me, what I had really missed the mark on, and I immediately wanted to go back. I wanted to go back very quickly, and I knew that this planet was changing, and so I knew that there was going to be more opportunity for me to have lifetimes similar to Lemuria, where I had consciousness and understanding, where I had my chakras activated. So, we, me and my guides knew that that was coming. It was all a matter of timing and basically coming into the right lifetime to have that kind of experience based on the density of the planet. So, we were like, you know, shooting our shot, basically. So, I came back in 1968 until 1984, and I ended up, I uh, was a young girl. I think I lived on the West Coast here in the United States, because this is just where most of my soul family and karmic connections had ended up. Um, out here in the United States. And so, I think, it, I want to say it was like San Francisco and um, ended up passing very young um, in a karmic connection in a car accident. So, died in a car accident at about 16 years old. And the parents that I had in that lifetime were still alive, um, like, until very recently. So, they only recently in the past, like, maybe, like, five to seven years have passed. And so, they lived, you know, all of those years with this, like, memory that their daughter died in a car accident. And um, it was, you know, their two souls that I have a karmic connection to. And that doesn't mean a negative connection. It's just that our souls have more to be resolved together. So, I'm sure that I'll see them in the future. Uh, but it's been such a trip to think about that, to think that, like, they were alive and I was alive, but I'm someone else now. And that's quite rare. It's just happening more in the last, like, 30-ish years, maybe 50-ish years, 
as all of these starseed souls were trying to hit their mark with a lifetime where they would be able to wake up because we knew that the planet was changing and we wanted to wake up. We wanted to gain consciousness. We wanted this experience for ourselves so that we could clear out tons and tons and tons of that karma in one fell swoop. I mean, I can clear out, you know, like thousands of karmic connections in this lifetime just by going through, you know, forgiveness and acceptance and love and releasing all of those karmic um, connections from my being. So, I passed in 1984 and I was about 16-ish years old in a car accident. And once again, another one of those fears that chased me into this lifetime is every time I would get in a car, I'd be convinced that I was going to get in a car accident uh, for years until I regressed that. And then the fear of being in a car accident just went away. And I had a quite a quick turnaround into this lifetime. So I was born in 1991, also into a family that I had a karmic connections with. However, with some of my siblings, I actually don't have deep karmic connections with them. Uh, Really only with like one or two of them do I have deeper connections with. The others, it's almost just like people that I know in the universe and we all just needed somewhere to be born. And so, you know, thankfully my parents uh, volunteered for this, um, whether they're consciously aware of that right now or not, but volunteered to bring this, you know, kind of ragtag group of souls into this lifetime. And we all had connections, but we weren't all high karma. We weren't all low karma. It was a, a mixture of all of that. And so I have four siblings in this lifetime. And that's quite a few if you think about how people have kids even in the last 30 years, most people don't have five kids. And it definitely has that feeling of like, I know these people, but I'm not super, super close with any of them. If anything, I am closest with the soul of my older sister. But after that, it's more like, oh, I know you, but we're not super close in, you know, outside of an incarnation. So here I am as Annie Perry. And something I want to point out is that many of the fears that I had in this lifetime were ways that I passed in other lifetimes. So, if you feel very afraid of something, it's not always because something bad is going to happen to you in this lifetime. Usually, it's because that happened to you in a past lifetime, and so you're carrying the fear of that. And it's not necessarily the fear of dying. It's usually the fear of the pain and the fear of separation, being separated from the people that you love in a lifetime. Honestly, I thought I was going to cry more (laughs) during this episode, but I really didn't. I managed to bring it in on a lighter note. Um, When I was thinking about the episode, it definitely felt heavy, and so I'm glad that I was able to lighten it up a little bit. And I know it's strange. I know that it all sounds strange. It sounds like a dream, right? It sounds like someone had a crazy wild dream. And that's just how these things feel until your third eye is open to the level where you can discern that something actually did happen to you before. And you can see it, and you can feel it, and if you're me, you can smell it. It's everything you can imagine is real. 
regardless if something has happened to you in a lifetime or not, everything you can imagine is real. I have seen some things that maybe I'll never talk about, and they are just so far out there, but once you see it, you cannot unsee it. Once I see a lifetime, I cannot unsee that lifetime because I'm not just viewing them like I'm watching a movie. I feel everything again. I feel all of the emotions again. I feel the despair. I feel the fear. I feel the sadness. I feel the anxiety. I feel the happiness. I feel the love. I feel the joy. I feel the exhilaration. I feel the exploration. I feel the doubt. I feel the funniness. I feel the humor. I feel all of it again. And that feeling, once you regress a lifetime, you will never, ever forget the feeling. It's the feeling because your feelings are energy and the energy is what imprints. All right, this is my longest episode ever and this is only part one of a two-part series. So in the next episode, you're going to find out why humans are the way that they are because you can hear all of this story and you can hear my story and all of my past lifetimes and everything, but it's really important for you to understand why humans are the way that they are. Why are they so different from all of the other species out there? Why do you feel like you are so different from everyone maybe around you or from everyone else in the universe? Why do we feel that way? And I think I have an answer that might blow you away, but it might also give you a lot of comfort and a lot of peace. And that is what it has given to me. So I'm very excited to share that on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening, beautiful soul. I hope that this was helpful for you. It was deeply, deeply personal to me. <laughs> and I mean, it's the story of my soul. And I'm, I'm always honored to share it with you. And I hope that you can treasure it and honor it in some way too beautiful being i will see you on the next one